0: I'm uh, Lewis Seaford. I am a long-time member of uh, Metro Life Church. Old. I am old. There's no doubt about that. Let's, uh, let's start with prayer because I believe God wants to do something significant between his word and the worship today. God, I'm reminded of the song, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. So God, come and do what only you can do, which is change hearts and renew our minds. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. During the 17 and 1800s, God sovereignly ordained that revivals would occur across Europe, Asia, and North America. These revivals were usually characterized by times of heartfelt repentance for sins against a holy God, followed by other times of an increased joy and a desire to wait on God in prayer and worship. Here are two examples of the impact of this repentance and revival from the writings of persons who experienced it firsthand these times of grace and love of God in their lives. Nathan Cole. A farmer who was thirty years old when George Whitfield visited Middleton, Middletown, Connecticut, on October 23, 1740. He described in a writing called "The Spiritual Travels of Nathan Cole." He stated the following: "We went down in the stream, but heard no man speak a word all the way for three miles, but everyone pressing forward in great haste, and when we got to Middleton, Old Town Meeting House, there was a great multitude. It was said to be three or four thousand people. I turned and looked towards the great river and saw the ferry boats running backward and forward, bringing over loads of people. The land and banks over the river looked black with people and horses all along the 12 miles. Now, I don't want to skip over that, 12 miles. That's close to what it is between here and Amway Arena. So if you can imagine that entire course being filled with people on their way to a revival meeting here at Metro Life Church. And upon hearing him preach, it gave me a heart by God's blessing. My old foundation was broken up and I saw my righteousness would not save me. All I could do would not save me. Jonathan Edwards, in a book, Some Thoughts Concerning the Present Revival of Religion, described his wife Sarah's experience from her perspective. The great part of the night I lay awake, sometimes asleep and sometimes between sleeping and waking, but all night I continued in a constant, clear, and lively sense of heavenly sweetness, of Christ's excellence and transcendent love of his nearness to me and of his dearness to me. An inexpressibly sweet calmness of soul and an entire rest in him. I seem to myself to perceive a glow of divine love. And now, happening at Asbury University in Kentucky. Reports from Asbury University say that a revival has broken out in the chapel of the small Christian college campus in Eastern Kentucky. On the morning of February 8th, which is not that long ago, (laughs) a seemingly normal chapel service took the place at the campus Hughes Auditorium. It included a message about confession and repentance. Very important to remember that. It started with confession and repentance. According to reports, After the service was over, a group of students stayed behind to continue worshiping, and others then joined them. According to reports being shared on social media, the students have been in chapel, this was a few days ago, over 24 hours, reading scripture, praying, singing, and sharing personal testimonies. God began pouring out his love among the students in a profound way. The students continued praying and worshiping even though chapel had concluded. Asbury Theological Seminary Vice President of Formation, Matt Barnes, wrote in Facebook. Asbury December graduate, Ellie Hooper, told the Asbury Collegiate, I am one of many who have been praying for this since my freshman year. To be here and witness this is life-giving. Senior Ashley Schumacher told the college paper she felt the weight of the Holy Spirit when she re-entered Hughes Auditorium after the chapel service was dismissed. Tuesday night kept the largest crowd yet, 3,000 worshipers piled into the college chapel and four overflow facilities throughout college Town. At least two-thirds of the attendants were from out-of-state. Students and staff from 22 schools have visited so far, alongside groups from Hawaii and Massachusetts. University faculty said, Travelers from Singapore and Canada are expected to arrive soon, they added. Now, Charles Spurgeon also experienced moves of God in his meetings. He summarized his thoughts as follows, I would sooner risk the dangers of a tornado of religious excitement than to see the air grow stagnant with a dead formality. So that leads us to Hosea 14. And if I could summarize Hosea 14 in three words, it would be grace, repentance, and revival. How timely. So let's look at the first eight verses of Hosea chapter 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the works of our hand. In you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who look after you. I am an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Contained in these verses is a beautiful picture of the grace of and forgiveness of God. The passage paints a picture of God's plan in the gospel and the willingness of God to restore those who humbly come to him with true repentance. Our God is a reviving God. And so he fills scriptures with picture after picture of his reviving powers. God's grace is more than a match for our sins and weaknesses. What went wrong in Israel to require the prophet to call for the people to return to the Lord? Well, insight can actually be found, as we saw last week in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. The last words of this passage are the very core of idolatry. They became proud and forgot him. The tendency of the fallen human heart is to begin to compromise our passion and our love for Jesus Christ in the gospel by allowing our focus to turn to ourselves. Our affections and priorities begin to shift to what we want, feel, think, or what we have accomplished. This could be in the form of possessions, activities, relationships, reputations, or career. And all these things can be good if kept in their proper priority after our relationship with God. Many times the focus becomes what we can do for ourselves or what others need to do for me. We take for granted the blessings of the Lord and begin to effectively worship with our thoughts and priorities the works of our own hands. Our gospel functionally becomes what we want to do for ourselves and not what Christ has already done for us. Although in our culture there are not routinely acts of crafting idols and worshiping these items, our culture does routinely use phrases such as, he, she is a self-made person. You can pull yourself up and become anything you put your mind to become. They made something out of nothing. Accumulate all the material things you can. If you look back on the 80s, that's actually called the decade of excess. Made famous by a particular singer who talked about living in a material world. And I'll let you finish the rest. (laughs) Understanding that God knows very well the tendencies of the human heart and ways we turn our focus and affection away From the very one who loved us first, causing us to lose our passion for God during times of prosperity. God begins the passage in Hosea 14 with words of overwhelming grace and hope Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. From these verses, it is important to understand who is calling us to return. It is the Lord Himself. It is not a human making the appeal or some lesser created being. It is God Himself, the one who is beyond our full understanding and comprehension. God is all knowing, He's all seeing, He's holy, He's righteous, Savior, Redeemer, Creator, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. That is who is calling us. He is the God who intimately knows not only our deeds, but our hearts and our motives. This God is the same one who is inviting us to return. The statement, return to the Lord, is one of the most beautiful expressions of grace and mercy found anywhere in Scripture. It is also important to understand who it is we are being called to return to. We are not being called to return to a code of conduct or sacrifices made to earn the favor with the one who is calling us. We are being called to return to God himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are being called to intimacy and relationship with a person, not a thing made by hands or a shallow imitation of deity. The way back to him has been made possible by the grace of the very one who's calling us. This is very similar to the expression of grace found in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. After having disrespected and dishonored his father with his words and lifestyle, the son comes to his senses and says, I will return to my father. Although we do not know from scripture what words were shared between the father and the son in the past, something in the character and nature of his father as known by the son caused him to understand that he could return. The father's heart can be seen clearly in the story, and that the father was looking for his son and saw him when he was still far off. The one who is calling us is also the one we are being called to. The way to return to God is through repentance. Return connotes a full reversal or direction, not a partial one. It doesn't just mean to get turned around. It comes all the way back. So let's, let's kind of show this. Here is God's and his intimacy and his priorities and his kindness and his love and his relationship. And we're walking there and all of a sudden something over here catches our attention. And we kind of move over this way a little bit like this. And then before we know it, we're kind of looking at that more than we're looking at him. And we keep walking and walking this way. And then suddenly, God in his grace and his mercy says, stop. I want you back. I want you to return to me. And so returning doesn't mean just stopping and continuing to stare at those things that got our attention to begin with. It means stopping and turning around and looking back at the one who saved us and wants a relationship with us. But it doesn't stop there either. He says, now return and walk all the way back to that intimacy and that priority that we had with him before. That is what repentance means. Restoration of our intimacy and the joy of God will not happen apart from genuine repentance. Involving a frank confession of sin and a radical return to God. And this is only possible by the grace of of God that we receive through faith. We can't do this on our own. It is the grace of God. God is calling us back to worship, back to the Scripture, back to God, leaving sin behind. There are marks of true confession and repentance. Verses 1 and 2, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity except what is good and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. There's an awareness in these verses that sin is sin and that it's serious. The word used in verse 1 is iniquity, which is an ugly word. Instead of saying mistakes how much less offensive would that be to say our mistakes he says our iniquities true repentance begins with an acknowledgement that sin is ugly and serious in god's sight and that awareness helps us to see even more how much we need a savior and how amazing his grace is isaiah 53 states he was bruised for our iniquities not for our mistakes Repentance must be our own if it's going to be real. It is through not through many words, but sincere words. Forgive us all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. True repentance is turning from specific sins. It is easy to repent of someone else's sins or to represent repent of sins generally, but to repent of one's own sin, specific sin, is so difficult it's actually impossible from the grace of God. God is more able to forgive us our sins and release us from the bondage of sin than we are to for, to free ourselves from sin. He is a gracious God. Now I learned a lesson about repentance, and yet the blessings of grace. As you know, during the summer, especially in Florida, but really all over the United States, there are what we call thunderstorms. They pop up at, during some portion of the day scattered around the United States. I was flying back from Tallahassee one time, back to Orlando, from Tallahassee, when a significant thunderstorm developed over Orlando. And I mean, this was big time. Giant cloud covered most of the middle of the state actually and so we had to be diverted southward so we turned hard right and we started flying towards tampa couldn't land there either then naples couldn't land there then over to miami getting closer then finally we ended up going into west palm beach Upon landing in West Palm Beach, the plane incurred some of the most turbulent air I have ever flown through. You know it's turbulent when just about everybody on the flight is yelling and screaming. We avoided one storm by flying in relatively calm air only to end up in a more serious storm and get this hundreds of miles from our destination. Several years later, I was flying across the country And the pilot was maneuvering the plane around and up and down because of storms by the way and those of you that fly know this if the pilot comes on and says flight attendants take your seats buckle your seat belts and stay in your seat the rest of the flight you know that something's going to happen when he when he says that and sure enough some very significant turbulence at one point i looked out the window in a break in the clouds, and saw that far in the distance, probably hundreds of miles away, the air was relatively clear. And so I asked myself the question, why can't we just fly over there? (laughs) Where flying would be so much easier. And three words came to my mind, West Palm Beach. The answer then came to me, because if you flew over there, you would not make it to your destination. So it is with repentance. The goal is to be free from the weight of sin and to enjoy the grace of God in all areas of your life. Repentance is the only way that happens, even though it is not easy. It is what is required, and it is all by grace. The goal of repentance is to allow our lives to glorify and worship God with freedom and joy. Some specific areas of sin that may impact many of us living in this culture and may impact many of us here at this church and are evidences of our hearts turning away from a passion for God. Please understand, most of our turning is in the heart, not necessarily with our actions, although a heart turn can lead to actions that turn It doesn't start that way. It usually starts in the heart. Some examples, and these are from Romans 1, Galatians 5, Colossians 3. Greed, pursuing beyond our needs. Covetousness, craving the same level of blessings others have received. Immorality, I think with a younger crowd and with where we live in this particular culture this is a bigger deal than what we want to give it credit for we have to be careful to guard our hearts and our minds against immorality pride yea me <laughs> anger harshness impatience others not meeting my expectations slander diminishing others in the minds of others that you would talk to gossip taking about talking about others when you are not part of the solution. Gossip and slander are the two clearest evidences of you forgetting your own condition apart from the grace and the gospel. Dishonoring your parents and materialism. My happiness and self-worth is found in the ever-increasing accumulation of possessions. That's materialism and deceitfulness. Verse 2, forgive us our sins and receive us graciously. All these and any other areas, we must come to God solely on the basis of grace. And the completed work of Christ, not thinking there is some merit whatsoever that would commend us to God, it is by grace alone that we come in true repentance. That's what I liked about that one statement by that periodical that I got, the information on the revival in kentucky they said the first chapel service they had was focused on confession and repentance now there is a good foundation to start a revival in if that's what god wants okay repentance enables us to see clearly verse three assyria shall not save us we will not ride on horses and we will say no more our god to the works of our hands and you, the orphan, finds mercy. It was through repentance that Israel could see that they had put their trust in Assyria instead of the Lord. It may not be in nations or governments or governmental leaders today, but our man-made activities, plans, and goals can garner more enthusiasm than a prayer meeting. Repentance isn't mere emotion or fleeting. It is a deep recentering of God in our lives. Deep recentering. Verse 4 I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. God heals and binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted. He does not treat them as their sins deserve. Apostasy is a serious sin. It's defined as an abandonment or renunciation of religious beliefs. Although most of us would say that doesn't describe us. It is functionally what we are doing when we move our passions, our priorities, and our actions away from dependence on God to the works of our own hands. But God is saying, even to this, I will heal you. We don't try to get well first. God receives us the moment we are repentant. God's anger is not his final word. His mercy is his final word. I will be like the dew, verses 5 through 8. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. It is God's intention for the church. So we've gone from grace to repentance, and now let's talk about revival. It is God's intention of the church and us that we flourish. This is a picture of a church in revival. The author of this particular scriptures uses what is called stacking metaphors for those of you who are well-versed in how to write. <laughs> like the dew, blossom, send down roots, shoots will grow, fragrance, shade, grain, vine, fame, wine, stacking metaphors. Let's take a couple of those. Cedars of Lebanon, a symbol of strength. God's grace brings strength to our spirit and hearts. He will give us strength to serve Him in many ways, some by helping and serving others is how He gives us strength. Olive trees. In biblical times, the splendor of the olive was the oil it, is a very, it was very valuable, the equivalent of petroleum today. Because of the gospel, your life can reflect the anointing of the oil of the Spirit and produce the fruit and joy that will last forever. That is a picture of an individual and a church in revival. Fragrance like Lebanon, fragrance is a pleasure to those who breathe it. For those who repent and turn to God, it can be said of those Christians, through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. This is what a healthy life and healthy church look like. Now, there's a difference between regret and repentance. Repentance. Many experience regrets that are due to sin's choices that have left scars and consequences. After a time of sin, some people are so overwhelmed by regret, they cannot experience joy. The consequences of their sin for themselves and others may haunt them for years. The pain of regret can drive us to decisions we would not otherwise make. Regret can leave some to an unending reflection on the sin. But God wants us to use it to lead us towards repentance. It's important to understand that regret is not the same as repentance. Regret f- focuses on the action that has brought sorrow. Repentance focuses on the one we have offended. 2 Corinthians 7:10 explains the difference. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Rather than allow the regret to win, we can allow Jesus to transform us so that our past sins, choices magnify his powerful grace. When we come to him in repentance, Believing that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient payment for the debt we owe, we can be forgiven, free, and thankful. Two men betrayed Jesus on the night he was crucified. Judas had worldly sorrow, regret, and his life was ended. Peter had godly sorrow, repentance, and his life was transformed. Look at Peter's first sermon after the resurrection and after Pentecost. The bottom line of his sermon was this. Repent and be baptized. He understood what repentance meant. We have the same choice as those men had. We can face regret and let it consume our lives. Or we can lay our fault at the feet of Jesus, turn from it, and let him restore us. I be- Please hear this. <laughs> Sometimes I get a little bit emotional on this one. I believe God desires to bring revival to individuals in this church as well as to Metro Life Church corporately. Repentance is an important precursor to revival. Michael Catt, a retired senior pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church, states it this way, there is no revival without repentance, never has been, never will be. No matter what you have done, no matter how far you have run from God, his grace is sufficient to forgive you where you are and bring you into an eternal relationship with him. And this grace is a free gift. Now, what would that look like for us today? First of all, for the believers, be encouraged. Not every area of your life is out of order. But perhaps while I was speaking, God was revealing, as he did to me, ways in which you have turned your focus passion, and priorities away from your relationship with God. God may be saying to you, as he did to me, I want you to turn for no one else. Regardless of what you have done, how far you have turned away, God's grace is absolutely able to bring you back into a deeper, undivided love of the person and work of Jesus Christ, restoring the joy of your salvation. The return will not be easy, but let's start with naming specific ways you have turned from him and cry out for grace to change. God is calling and forgiving you and is giving you the grace to change. For the unbeliever that may be here, you were created by God and perhaps today he is calling you into a relationship with him. By his grace, you have realized that you have sinned against the one who created you and have decided to live for yourself without regard to the eternal consequences of turning away from a holy God. The good news is that you are here for a reason, and God's grace is available to give you the faith to believe that Jesus, God the Son, came to this earth, was born and lived a perfect life, was crucified, taking the wrath of God on himself for my sins, dying in my place, and was buried and rose from the dead, so that salvation could be made available to those who respond to his call to return to him. He is calling you to repent, ask for forgiveness for your sins, and to trust him alone for that forgiveness, not relying on your own efforts to do good works on your own, but to earn his favor. That is idolatry that doing things in your own good works, that is idolatry, and will not bring you into the right standing with the Holy God. No matter what you have done, no matter how far you have run from God, His grace is sufficient to forgive you where you are and bring you into an eternal relationship with Him. Grace has a name. And His name is Jesus. Jesus. Forgiveness has a name, and his name is Jesus. Love has a name, and his name is Jesus. Some have lost hope that they can never change, but hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. So come now, repent, and let's return to the Lord.